Al Jazeera Podcasts. Today, nowhere left to go in Gaza. Israel has stepped up attacks on Gaza's southernmost region, Rafah. It sits on the border with Egypt, a border that few can easily cross. It was uh, the longest day in our life. So what does Israel's war on Gaza mean for Egypt? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The voice you just heard is Al Jazeera correspondent Yumna Al-Sayed. Before October, she covered the Rafah crossing from Gaza, and she passed through it herself on the 72nd day of Israel's war. That's when she ultimately decided to leave with her husband and children. It was a very difficult decision, a very sad one that I had to make to evacuate Gaza. But it was also my only option to save the life of my kids. I felt that I would lose them any day if I stayed there longer than that. It's a decision that other Palestinians in Gaza, who had the option, are being forced to consider right now. Israel's military has pushed them into a smaller and smaller corner of the Strip, with worsening conditions. Rafah has become one of the only refuges for more than a million people fleeing the war. This is the Mawazi evacuation zone where 25,000 Palestinian displaced, hungry, thirsty, and more profoundly traumatized Palestinian being displaced into this area. 25,000 people with only one source of water. 5,000. And for days now, Israel's prime minister has promised a ground invasion in Rafah. Instructed the Israel Defense Forces to prepare to operate also in Rafah and two of the refugee camps in the center, the last remaining strongholds of Hamas. The only way for Palestinians stuck in Gaza to leave is through the Rafah crossing into Egypt. But Yumna says that process isn't easy. We went to the crossing border from 8 a.m. in the morning and we left from the Egyptian side at 8 p.m., at night. There are also so many restrictions and measures imposed on the travel of Palestinians through the Rafah border. And these restrictions and measures have been ongoing for so many years. But now, at the time of the war, the fact that Egypt talks about not wanting to facilitate the ethnic cleansing and the forced uh, displacement of Palestinians from the Gaza Strip has made it a very difficult process for people to travel through the Rafah border. And brokers and agencies are promising they can get desperate Palestinians through the crossing for a steep price. Before I was able to travel. I spoke to one of my friends. He told me that he knows one of these brokers, and we thought that we would try to arrange something like that for my husband, since he is the only one who does not have a dual nationality. 
Yumna and her children have Egyptian citizenship. Her husband does not. And I remember the price at that time was at about $7,000 just for my husband because my kids and I were able to travel without him, but we didn't want to. So even when we agreed on that amount, the number quickly changed and the amount got so much higher than that. Very, very soon after I got to Egypt, I heard it jumped to 9, to 10, to 11, and then to $14,000 per person. This is how incredibly difficult and expensive it is for a person in the Gaza Strip to be able to flee and save their lives in this war. Some Palestinians abroad have started GoFundMe pages to help raise money for their family in Gaza, to cover the assorted fees to leave. We heard from one of them. Reem is from Gaza, but now lives in the U.S. state of Virginia. We're speaking Palestinian families that can consist of five-plus family members, and it is impossible for people in Gaza to be able to afford that. And without securing those funds, those families will not be able to travel. And as hard as it sounds, no family in Gaza is able to evacuate or survive or save their family's life if they do not have this money available to pay. Reem has crossed that border before. And like Yomna also mentioned, it was a difficult crossing even before the war. In 2022, I remember as I arrived to the border, seeing lines of thousands of people lined up, whether in their cars or on the street. I remember seeing women and children sitting on sidewalks here and there, stacked luggage everywhere, and just people sitting under the burning sun for hours and hours, hoping to hear anything from the other side about whether they will cross the border today or there's this level of expectation that they may spend the night in the street. To find out why the Rafah crossing has long been an obstacle for Palestinians in Gaza, I spoke to someone familiar with the politics around it. I'm Miret Mabruk. I am the founding director of the Egyptian Horn of Africa program at the Middle East Institute in Washington, D.C. So, Mirat, you know then that, as we speak, Israel is threatening a ground invasion of Rafah. There is a border crossing there with Egypt. But we've heard from Palestinians that getting through can be incredibly difficult. There is a question that a lot of people have been asking from the beginning of Israel's war in Gaza, and perhaps asking now with fresh urgency. And that's some variation of why does Egypt not fully open up its border to Palestinian refugees and allow everyone in Gaza to escape? What is your take on that question? How simple? It sounds so simple. How simple is that? Um, It's not simple. I get asked this question all the time, and that's actually been the Israeli line, which is, you know, why doesn't Egypt just do the humanitarian thing and take on the people that we have herded down like cattle and are busy pounding with shells? You know, 28,500 dead Palestinians later, why doesn't Egypt just take them in? There are two answers to that. 
The first is, it's not simply a matter of taking in refugees. Egypt currently hosts about nine and a half million refugees, according to the International Office of Migration. So it's not a matter of refugees. It's a matter of two things. One, Egypt has been very clear that it will not be complicit in another Nakba, because Egypt knows that if Palestinians are pushed out, they will never be allowed back in. The other thing is a security issue. There is absolutely no love for Hamas, but they have a working relationship. The other thing, of course, is that it's sort of clearly understood that if you have members of Hamas or, or anyone else being pushed out of Palestine, they are not going to stop resisting the Israelis. The only difference will be that they will then be fighting it from someone else's sovereign territory, Egypt's, which is a potential nightmare. So there are very, very real reasons why Palestinians are not being allowed in. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi has said frequently that Egypt has never closed the Rafah border crossing with the Gaza Strip. If I'm the reason bread can't enter Gaza, how will I escape God's judgment? I swear by God, Egypt has the Rafah crossing open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 30 days a month. I think that might surprise a lot of people, but there is coordination that goes on there with deciding and figuring out who is allowed to leave Gaza for Egypt. How does that work? So as for who goes in and out, there has to be coordination between the Egyptians, Hamas and Israel. So there were problems because the Israelis kept saying that Hamas were trying to smuggle out their people. So it has not been smooth in any sense of the word. It's been extremely, extremely difficult. Now, there was some question, I think, a a few days ago when U.S. President Joseph Biden said that he had to convince President Sisi, whom he apparently conflated with the president of Mexico, but he uh, had to convince President Sisi to open up the border for aid. Initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. That's when the Egyptian put out this immensely polite, very long (laughs) statement that basically took a page and a half to say, nope, didn't happen. You know, and I mean, I think there there were cracks in Egypt that they wished that the government would always be that polite, you know, domestically. But I actually think they tied themselves in knots over an attempt to be polite in the sense that they wanted to make it very clear that at no point did anybody have to convince Egypt to let in aid? You have to remember, Egypt is currently going through its worst economic crisis in 50 to 60 years. Egyptians have had it harder than usual as of late, and there's anger on the streets. The price of food and basic goods continues to soar, and the middle class that have had to dip into their savings to get by is gradually becoming poorer. And they still were marshalling massive amounts of aid to take to the Palestinians. I mean, ordinary Egyptians who are struggling with the cost of living and higher inflation than, uh, I mean, inflation is at its highest point ever. They were still 
running out to donate blood and to donate food and to donate medicine so to go to Gaza. So I think the, the idea that they had to be talked into allowing aid through was, uh, I think, between funny and deeply hurtful. After the break, could a 45-year-old peace treaty between Israel and Egypt be at risk? Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula, I am an AI, and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. So, Mirat, Egypt and Israel have had a peace treaty for four decades. Mm-hmm. The two countries signed a formal peace treaty back in 1979 based on what's called the Camp David Accords. And Egypt plays its own role in the blockade of Gaza. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the balancing act that Egypt must walk between keeping the peace with Israel while also trying to negotiate concessions for Palestinians on the diplomatic front as they are a key negotiator in the talks involving Hamas and Israel right now. So it is a complicated mix. Egypt has a peace treaty with Israel and it is constructive. They cooperate intensely, especially on military and security matters. And Egypt has been complicit in that blockade for two reasons. On the one, it isn't just trying to make nice with Israel. There had been smuggling and a lot of arms were coming into Egypt. And Egypt destroyed and flooded smuggling tunnels from Gaza into Rafah. So in many ways, you can certainly view Egypt as being complicit in that blockade over all of these years. But it has also always been keen to both be seen and to de facto allow the Palestinians a breathing space, a pressure point valve, if you like, for the misery of, of occupation. You mentioned earlier the public support, the outpouring of donations and people donating blood after October 7th. How have the Egyptian people reacted to the government's handling of the war on Gaza? So at the moment, the anger of the Egyptian public is sort of squarely directed at Israel for its assault on the Palestinians. There have been calls to recall the ambassador, but I do think there is a realization that there is a peace treaty. And unless the Israelis break that peace treaty, everyone knows that the government's hands are tied and it's not like we suddenly want to go to war over this as far as the Egyptians are concerned. That treaty that we're talking about is the Camp David Accord. Yes. What would break it? So that's a good question because there has been talk bouncing back and forth across this. At the moment, the horrific onslaught on the Palestinians is not in contravention of the Camp David Accords. Now, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been making consistent remarks on wanting to move into the Philadelphia Corridor, 
The corridor is a 14-kilometer strip of land on the southern end of Gaza. Israel controlled the corridor until 2005, when it withdrew from the strip. After which, Egyptian security forces began patrolling the area. The Philadelphia Corridor, or to put it more correctly, the southern stoppage point of Gaza, must be in our hands. It must be shut. It is clear that any other arrangement would not ensure the demilitarization that we seek. And, you know, people have said, well, Egypt might not want to give it up because it would lose its connection to Gaza. But it's also the fact that it would be a direct contravention of the treaty and Egypt does not want Israeli military rights smacked up against uh, its border. Because honestly, that just brings the fight closer. Again, Israel's actions have been heinous as far as the Palestinians are concerned, but it has not broken the peace treaty with Egypt. Mm. So finally, Mirat, as the situation in Rafah gets more desperate, where do you see things going next? It's a good question, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you because it really depends on how far the Israelis decide to push it. Egypt has fortified the border with Palestine, but if there is a ground invasion, it's, it's very likely that even people who want to stay and die in their homes are going to come across the border. Mm. And if that happens, it's not like the Egyptian military is suddenly going to start shooting at them. They're not. There's a difference between Egypt doing its best to keep them out and Egypt attacking them when they come over. That's right. I, I don't see that happening. I just don't see that happening. There are a lot of rumours flying around, but the only thing that is certain, I think, is that honestly, everything depends on what the Israelis do. Everyone else is just reacting at the moment. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, and Zaina Bezer, with Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, David Enders, Berenice Campana, Khaled Sultan, Nagin Oliayi, Siriyat Khalili, Sonia Bagat, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Joe Plord mixed this episode. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs> 